Hi everyone, welcome to the Oplane podcast where I talk with innovators and entrepreneurs that are transforming the aviation industry. And first of all, let me repeat my usual reminder that you can find all the previous episodes of the Oplane podcast as well as many other aviation stories on our website that's oplane.tv a l p l a n e Today we've got not one, but two guests coming to the podcast. Two for one. How great is that? Adam Tweedle has already been on this podcast, although possibly many of you don't remember because it was one of the very first episodes that very few people listened to. And he was here talking about the world of executive aviation because he's the founder and CEO of Private Fly. That is one of Europe's top executive aviation brokers. And today he's joined by Kennedy Ricci. He is the founder of 4Air, a firm that helps aviation companies get their act together when it comes to the environment with a particular focus on executive aviation. So 4Air evaluates the emissions footprint of the aviation company in question, not just the carbon one, but they look at all sorts of emissions. And then they design ways to mitigate or reduce this environmental impact and they issue the corresponding accreditation. So I guess you see where this is going. Today we will be talking about a topic that can be quite controversial, executive aviation and sustainability. The question is, can executive aviation be ever sustainable or is it an oxymoron? Adam and Kennedy don't shy away from this debate and they have come here on the pod to explain how they are taking action through their respective companies, but also more generally, to share their views about how the executive aviation industry can actually be a vector for the introduction of a whole range of technologies and policies that will bring benefits to the whole aviation industry and bring it closer to the net zero carbon goal. In this conversation, uh, we learn about a whole range of interesting facts, such as the share of global emissions that private jets represent, or other interesting things like, for example, the staggering percentage of private jet trips that are now paid in Bitcoin. So tune in for a fascinating chat about executive aviation and sustainability. Adam Kennedy, good to see you here on the podcast. Hi, good day, Miguel. How are yeah, you guys? We have today another of those podcasts where people are scattered all over the world. I guess, Adam, you are in England at the moment. I'm in lockdown uh, London at the moment, yes. And Kennedy, you are joining us from the US? Yes, from Scottsdale, Arizona. Very wide geographical scope here today. We're going to touch a topic that it, it can be sensitive at times, but it's uh, also very interesting. That's executive aviation and sustainability. Adam has been here in the podcast before. He was actually one of the very first guests. He explained it all about executive aviation, how this segment of the industry works. Today, we're going to dig deeper into the whole sustainability angle. And Kennedy, you are the founder of 4Air. Basically, you help companies in aviation accredit their sustainability efforts, uh, sustainability credentials. Um, exactly. All right. So, Kennedy, tell us a bit more about yourself. What's your background and, and how did you start this company and, and what you guys do? Yeah. So, my name is Kennedy Ricky. I'm the president and founder of uh, Four Air. Um, you know, my background's really been, you know, like to say, I was born into private, or private aviation and aviation in general. Um, my dad was a corporate pilot, grandfather was a pilot, mom was a flight attendant, grandma was a flight attendant. You know, both sides of the family really brought together a passion for aviation. So, it was somewhat inevitable and in my blood that, you know, I would end up kind of in the industry. But I think, you know, a passion for aviation was, was kind of drove me to get my pilot's license and learn how to fly as well. And while you're flying, it kind of imbued an additional passion for, for travel and for seeing the world. And with that came a desire to want to protect it as well. And that's kind of what spawned the idea of, you know, we want to do something around sustainability in aviation. We want it to be you know, part of the solution to making sure that the entire world gets to a, a level of sustainability. And we think there's a lot of ways that aviation can do it in a niche manner, that there's things like carbon offsets, that sustainable fuels, new technologies. And we really, you know, it can be confusing because there's so many different pathways forward. How do you tie together a unified vision for it? And how do we do it in a way that's got to, you know, move somewhat effectively? You know, we're 
we always talk about 2050, but 2050 no longer is that far away. Um, you know, it's, we're kind of counting down the time to when these goals start to come due. So we need a, a unified kind of vision for how we want to move forward. And that was the goal of 4Air. We saw a lot of announcements around new sustainability programs with different companies, a lot of really exciting technologies coming on board, um, goals and, and plans from organizations like ICAO on how to move forward. So we try to look at that and look at kind of the timeline of, you know, what's available today? What do we have access to that can make an impact on sustainability today? And what do we look at over the, you know, the next kind of 20 years to that 2050, uh, you know, 2040, 2050 timeframe? And how do we accelerate some of the sustainability? So we built a framework, you know, that mirrored that and then work on work, you know, helping aviation companies either certify their existing efforts or create a program that kind of aligns with that, that timeline and best practices. So basically, you look at a company, uh, can be an airline, or in this case, you work together with a private fly to, uh, to certify their environmental efforts. You look at the missions, you, you look at, um, yeah, basically, yeah. Uh, how they are trying to, to balance or to, to offset these emissions. And then you uh, basically let's put it this way, there are sort of levels that an, uh, mm -hmm. a company can achieve by being more environmentally friendly, right? So yes, and, so we, yeah. the program's got four levels we look at. Um, the first one, and, and I think a lot of times you see goals of companies or organizations to be carbon neutral by, you know, X date, insert here, you know, 2040, 2050, that they'll set a goal to. We actually said, you know, we've got the ability to go carbon neutral today using carbon offsets. So level one of the program is act is just being carbon neutral. We look at the the fuel pr the foot footprint that comes from the fuel burn of the aircraft, um, create a you know what that carbon footprint is, and look at offsetting at 100% with verified carbon offsets um, to let have them achieve that level one. Level two, we introduce the idea of non-carbon dioxide emissions. So if you look at um, aviation as a whole, about one third of those emissions, one third of the warming impact of aviation comes from carbon dioxide. The majority of the of the warming impact, though, actually comes from non-carbon dioxide sources. Things like nitrous oxides, um, cirrus-induced cloudiness. Um, these are actually bigger contributions to the impact of aviation than just the carbon dioxide. But they're more complex, and we don't understand them as well. Um, depending on where the nitrous oxide emissions occur, what time of day the contrails are formed, if it's at night or during the day, what latitudes, if it's a contrail-sensitive region or not. Um, all of these kind of have to go into, you know, understanding that uh, exact impact, whereas the carbon dioxide is a little bit more straightforward. But we're starting to learn that one, you know, the impact from those is quite large and it is, you know, it's not zero. And so if we're going to think about neutralizing our, 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 our environmental impact, we've got to think about the non-carbon emissions as well. So we looked at um, a couple of what are called emissions indexes that allow you to compare the, the warming impact of nitrous oxides and these non-carbon emissions to a carbon dioxide equivalent. So by doing that, you can then offset the carbon dioxide equivalent warming impact of those non-carbon emissions and achieve a, an, what we call an emissions neutrality. So Private Fly has looked at that and said, we wanna be level two, we wanna be completely neutralized in our environmental footprint. So that means addressing both the carbon and non-carbon emissions. Mm -hmm. level, level three, we bring the idea of direct emissions reductions. So using sustainable fuel to actually reduce your emissions um, and, and within our, our, you know, our sector. Um, and then level four, we look at what we call the Aviation Climate Fund, which looks at partnering with universities or startups that have ways of accelerating, you know, the, the kind of sustainability technology and reinvesting within aviation so that 30, 40 years from now, we've got the technologies like electrification or hydrogen or, or alternative fuels to continue the decarbonization. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I think we're going to get to more detail later, but let me now introduce Adam because, uh, well, as I mentioned, Adam is the founder of Private Flight. It's an executive aviation firm that is, uh, is working with you guys to, um, to certify this uh, carbon offset. Adam, tell us for the people that were not listening to our very first episode, tell us a bit about Private Flight, about yourself, former RAF officer that became entrepreneur and you've been basically growing private fly into one of the major brokers in executive aviation. Thanks, Miguel. Uh, yeah, so we started, what, 12 years ago now, and after a fantastic career in the UK Air Force and then flying private jets, my wife, Carol, and I spotted an opportunity to bring private jet charter online. 
we seemed to be an industry that the internet had not affected and we just didn't understand why when so many other sectors were being brought online why couldn't you research and buy a private jet trip we thought um, so that's what we did um, we actually sold our house um, to seed fund the company and we we grew um, the technology and the customer base and the aircraft operators uh, and eventually um, we moved to uh, the business across to the states and we started growing in the states as well um, it's been a fantastic 12 years um, but uh, wow what a year we've had in across all of travel and all of a aviation um, in, in particular as um, the, the pandemic has had its effects but what has been clear um, is that sustainability is a topic that is now going to be accelerated. Um, it's very close to the heart of many people here in Europe. Um, and we suspect in the States, um, the, the same um, feelings will come out of the pandemic. People want to take more responsibility for the travel that they are doing. It's been a time of reflection. And I think when we, we all come out of this pandemic, um, it's going to be full focus on sustainability and aviation. So really proud of the team to uh, want to tackle this very difficult subject head on. We don't want to avoid it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, I wanted to ask you about um, how this uh, drive to sustainability is perceived in the executive aviation industry, because in some ways it's um, seen from the outside, it seems like an, an easy target for environmental campaigning, right? Because well, you have like, you know, all these kind of rich, privileged people that are moving around in, in very, you know, uh, <laughs> luxurious environment. So it, it seems that it's, it's really like one of the easiest things to attack. But at the same time, I've got the impression that precisely because it's a segment of the population that has more disposable income and, and more margin to maneuver can serve as a test bank also for the sort of initiatives and technologies that help lower the carbon footprint in, in different ways. So how is this um, drive to sustainability being experienced inside the industry? Do you feel like you, uh, you might be targeted uh, when- I mean, absolutely, uh, you're right, Miguel. You know, we are a, a sitting target um, for people who want to challenge the use of private aviation. So let, let's look at what's happened again over the last year. I think the case for private jets has never been more clear than during the pandemic. Airlines have stopped schedules and haven't flown at the same frequency as they have. And private aviation has come in to fill the gap. And this is quite frequent that this happens. It normally happens during travel disruptions such as snow and ice or airport strikes, um, air traffic strikes that we see frequently in, in Europe private aviation comes to the front. And then when we look at who has been traveling over the last year, well, it's essential key workers. It's the pharmaceuticals who are um, running hard to try and um, get the vaccines out. It's essential um, engineering companies. It's, um, there's a lot of um, repatriations um, of families who've um, needed to get to a place of safety and, and a large number of medical flights because of course, Unfortunately, um, the vicious natures of some um, illnesses such as cancer don't stop because there's other pandemics going on. And so we've, we've done a, a large number of, of trips that we're very proud of um, as a company and as an industry. Um, we've, we've kept essential um, travel um, moving. Um, now, of course, we're all responsible for the carbon that we burn and we all have to take those decisions when we go on holiday um or drive a car um, and i think what's happened is that not only have individuals started to think about their own responsibility for their the carbon that they emit but corporates have as well and we've seen a complete stop of of travel um, for many many companies and as they go back to it those corporates will be looking at how they're traveling do they need to travel and when they travel what are they doing in terms of offsetting or bridging the gap towards a more sustainable future. Now, in terms of the industry, I'm very proud to say that the 
private jet industry, especially here in Europe, has not dodged this question. And they've put their hand up and our European Business Aviation Association, EBA, have quite clearly acknowledged that we are a polluting industry and they want to do something about it. They want to work with governments, they want to work with companies, they want to work with our passengers and our clients to find the future. Now, what we're talking about today, sustainability and offsetting, carbon offsetting, emissions offsetting, um, is a bridge. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about sustainable aviation fuel, which is a great development, um, but it's a bridge. And what's just over the horizon at the moment is terrific. It's electric flight, it's use of hydrogen, uh, it's use of um, hybrid um, technologies, and it's all coming. It's not here yet. And there's large amounts of investment money being poured into this. And we'll start to see um, electric aviation um, for ultra short haul trips um, in, in, in the next few years, for sure. And then those trips will get longer and longer. We're, we're going to be somewhere away from flying the Atlantic um, with large numbers of passengers, of course, by, um, by renewable energy. But we will get there. Um, but in the, in the meantime, what can we do? And at Private Fly, um, we decided we wanted to take a stand and we wanted to make the decision on behalf of our customers. Um, we want to offset all of our trips. Um, so we got in touch with 4Air and we, we told them our situation. And 4Air were fantastic and they were able to say, okay, these are the various steps that we can do. And it's very clear four step process. The first is carbon offsetting. The second is emission offsetting. The third is use of sustainable aviation fuel. And the fourth is being, um, a, being um, a donating towards scientific research for those future projects that we just discussed. Um, now at Private Fly, obviously it's been, um, everything is about budgets, but we decided to take levels one and two and commit to those ourselves from our own company profits. So we are offsetting 300% all of our flights on behalf of our customers. We're not giving our customers the choice. Um, then we are asking our customers to make the decision if they want to pay for part or all of their flight use of sustainable aviation fuel, and if they want to donate towards future research. Mm -hmm. When you say 300%, how does it work? So basically you are offsetting three times the carbon emissions of each flight, or are there other parameters here that we should be taking into account? Well, Miguel, I consider myself an expert in private aviation, but I'm going to pass that buck to the expert <laughs> in sustainability, okay. Kennedy, because I think we're going to get a yeah. very clear answer. Definitely. Uh, that's what we, uh, that's why we have here a, <laughs> a podcast with uh, all of you guys here today so that we can get the expert insights about each aspect of this. So. So yeah, Kennedy, tell us, what's uh, 300%, how does it work? So we get that question a lot. You know, it's certainly a question that, you know, people always want to think about how do you go beyond just being carbon neutral and addressing those non-carbon emissions we felt was going to be important. So we looked at, there's a lot of research out there trying to understand how you factor in those different, um, you know, characteristics of these non-carbon emissions and emission levels of those. And kind of the, the, the best research and best comparison we found um, was an emissions index called GWP star 100, global warming potential over the next 100 years um, with kind of a you know, modified definition of it. And it basically created a comparison for how does the, the nitrous oxides and the Sears contrail, how does that uh, create a carbon dioxide equivalent amount of warming? And if you look at that over, you know, kind of historically speaking, it's about 300%. So about three times just the carbon, the, the impact from the carbon, if you incorporate these non-nitrous oxides and, and serious contrails. Who created this index? Um, so it was a research group. Um, there was a couple of um, different researchers. I'd have to pull up the organizations, but NOAA was one of them. Um, a couple of leading of the emissions kind of researchers within the, the in Europe as well. Um, David Lee, there was, um, I can get you the, the actual name. I want to pull that up. Okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. If you can send me the reference, then I will add it to the show notes so that yeah. people can check it out. So basically the 300% is because you are offsetting not only carbon, but all these other emissions that can have an effect as well. On the, exactly. Yeah. We want to make sure that we're 
we're being comprehensive in the in addressing our our environmental footprint okay so you have this index you you then you calculate the the missions and in the case of private fly how you do that because private fly doesn't have its own fleet it's a it's a basically it's a company that is an intermediary that operates with uh, lots of different operators and i guess the type of aircraft and, and the type of the length of, of trips and all of that it, it's so variable so mm -hmm. how you go about calculating this because it i guess it's a rather complex calculation um so it's actually the you know the calculation is actually not that complicated um everything every each level that we're looking at it's all based off of the fuel burn you know every kind of the the emissions footprint of an airplane it's all based off you know how much fuel is consumed so for a company we work with that actually has their own fleet they know the exact amount of quantity of fuel that was used and we'll actually use those gallons or, or liters as the the baseline to create their carbon footprint which tells you what the emissions footprint is, which tells you how much staff you need, you know, and so on. For a company like PrivateFly, we'll either look at, um, you know, working with our partners to get that field data, or actually just looking at kind of his, uh, historical averages for those types of aircraft and creating an, you know, estimation, comparing that. There's some tools out there from ICAO and, and the EU for estimating these types of uh, missions based on that same industry data. So we'll look at kind of compiling, you know, a best estimate of what the fuel burn of the aircraft was, and that informs what the carbon footprint is. And then what do you do to do the actual offsetting? Do you invest in specific projects that remove this carbon from the atmosphere? What sort of criteria do you use? And what level of involvement do um, your partners, like in this case, Adam and, and Private Fly, in, in choosing what are the, the right projects for them and, mm -hmm. and the most suitable ways to offset this, all these emissions? Yeah. So we look at the first thing we do is um, all the carbon offsets come from verified projects that use under a couple of methodologies, they're called. So um, things like gold standard, um, uh, Vera or verified carbon standard. Um, these other methodologies that would be applicable for Corsia, that the Corsia has decided those methodologies are robust enough to be included. There's kind of, you know, four major ones that are very well known and, and the most robust. So we were, you know, we look at the projects all have to be verified under those um, those standards. And then we'll look at their kind of the categories that we think make sense or make the best story. So things like renewable energy, um, international forestry, we try to look at, you know, what's the right story that's gonna be applicable for private fly. So for has created kind of a portfolio of some of these, these offset projects, um, renewable uh, energy, renewable wind, um, solar, and then some forestry projects, and then bring that, bring uh, private fly into that, that offset portfolio. But we also tried to find some unique projects. So we wanted Private Fly to have one project that was just their own. So um, there's a project up in, in the Banskill Highlands that is a kind of a forestry conservation project that is, you know, Private Fly owns the emissions reductions that are generated from that project. And what's nice about that is, you know, it's something you can just go visit. You can go to that project and see, you know, that the conservation's occurring, that the land's being protected, um, and actually, you know, bear witness to the, the continuing success of the project. But each of the, you know, the other ones that we might not be as easily to go see all have, you know, verification reports um, that you get every year to show kind of the status of the project and the continuing efforts that are going on. Mm -hmm. uh, Just well, jumping in here, I think sure. that was one of the unique offerings that 4Air um, presented, that we were able to choose a basket of projects that we would support. And I guess it's like an investment portfolio you definitely don't want to put all of your sustainability um, dollars into to one project. You want to spread the projects and, and make it meaningful to um, your customers and, and to your team. And that's exactly what we did with our portfolio of investments. Um, now, clearly, I was a little bit biased when I saw the opportunity to have our own uh, forest in Scotland, which is my home country. Yeah, I thought um, so but, when I, I heard it. <laughs> that I'm so sure that, that I, I sure that's Adam's Adam's idea too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting struggling. actually, you know, each one of these projects costs a different amount. Mm -hmm. um, but so because of that personal um, connection with Scotland, I was very happy to to sanction a, a much higher cost to, to back it. And the team are looking forward to the lockdown ending so we can actually do some trips up and spend some weekends planting our own trees with, with the team who we're financially backing. So how fantastic is that, that not only we're, we're um, 
you know, got a, our own forest that our customers um, can go and visit as well as um, the, the team, but we can actually physically get involved. And, you know, these sort of things where you involve your team um, make everything so much more meaningful and powerful. Um, mm -hmm. But we also, at the beginning of Private Fly, had a partner in India that was programming our code um, for the platform. So we wanted to choose um, a renewable energy project in India, and, we, and we've selected one which is um, putting solar power in uh, to replace cooking um, stoves and lighting um, in, in various places in India. So that was also very important to us that we reflected on the, the back-end team who had been there since the beginning of Private Fly um, and supporting the growth. So you can see that um, it's a great opportunity, this. Um, there are multiple wins of, of the reasons why you, um, this, is a, this is a good thing to be doing. Mm -hmm. Actually, you kind of read my mind because I was about to ask you, do you go to visit these places and, <laughs> and, and see it for yourself? Uh, you kind of answer it. Um, yeah, I, and actually I, I follow on Twitter some interesting initiatives to, for the reforestation of Scotland which is it's quite an interesting topic because we all have this idea of Scotland like a, as a kind of a bare place where almost no trees in the highlands, but actually it's not the natural state of the place. Uh, the no, it's, it's incredible. <laughs> I mean, when you, when you speak to some people, they'll say, oh, trees will never grow in Scotland. It's too windy, it's too barren, but that's not true. You, you yeah. absolutely can plant. Um, of course, you have to choose your, your type of tree. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think that's probably a different podcast. Yeah, <laughs> certainly. I will, I will add in the show notes a couple of links, uh, interesting projects that are taking place now in Scotland. And it's a bit off topic, but I think it, it's going to be interesting for, for the people that follow us. Now, getting back to the topic, well, there's uh, offsets, of course. I know um, not everyone in, in the sustainability community is kind of um, friendly towards offsets. Um, some people insist that, you know, like, that's not enough, that needs to be something extra. And, and then you, you have, at 4Air, there's a possibility of, of moving one step farther and actually moving into direct carbon reductions. And as you mentioned earlier, also into getting involved into some of these new technologies that are being developed. What can you tell us about all these um, you know, extra, extra steps, these extra levels that you have designed? Yeah. So, you know, and we look at the reason we bring in offsets, you know, they're never the end goal. You know, we don't want to be yeah. here in 2050 still using offsets. That's not, you know, they're a bridge to these future technologies. And there's something that's available today. So if we're going to make a difference, it's, it's something we can actually implement today. And if you think about, you know, it's always interesting to, to point out. So if you look at aviation as a whole, so commercial and private aviation, we make up about 2% of global emissions. Now, most people think it's actually a lot higher than that, but it's, you know, even factoring those non-carbon emissions, we're about 5%. So carbon offsets actually become a way that we can make a difference outside of our industry. We can help decarbonize electricity production in foreign countries through these carbon offset projects. But at the end of the day, we need to be addressing our piece of the pie too. And that's where I think sustainable fuels and new technologies are going to make a big impact. Uh, one question. Do you know it's 2% for aviation as a whole? Mm -hmm. That includes everything, commercial, uh, cargo? Uh, what right. about executive aviation? Uh, is there any estimate about what percentage it represents? Yes. So executive aviation would be is estimated about 2% of aviation emissions. So it would be about 0.04% of global okay. emissions. So it's 2% of 2%. 2% of 2%. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's very easy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, but as, as we were saying, I mean, there, there's possibly, um, you know, uh, it's a fat target because obviously, I mean, it's, it's much less people that are flying on executive aviation. So that, but at the same time, I guess most of these people have the means to invest. I mean, it's, I guess it's, it's more difficult to make, I don't know, like a, like a, a working class family that goes to visit the family once or twice a year, pay a huge amount of money to, to, to offset or to, or to uh, pay higher environmental taxes. But actually, it might be, uh, I don't know if easier is the word, but I mean, the people that, that are traveling executive aviation or the large corporations that have these jets possibly have the means to you know, make a relatively larger contribution in that regard. So I guess that's, you know, where... Well, I think, Miguel, that's yeah. not unusual. 
Um, yeah. When we look at the history of new technology, it's often mm -hmm. the early uh, adopters, um, mm -hmm. high net worths, um, who pay for the technology at the beginning. They pay the research and development costs. And then when it gets into more mass production, the costs come down. And we can see that more recently with the use of electric vehicles. True. When the Prius um, was the first real yeah. electric vehicle or hybrid vehicle that came out. You know, it was the celebrities in, in LA who were who were using it and happy to pay more to be seen to be green. And yeah. and I think that's very common in technology with computer technology, um, hi-fi technology of old, yeah. um, uh -huh. even space travel now, for example. It's mm -hmm. in, it, it's the, the the high net worths, the ultra high net worths who maybe are paving the way. And so, yes, I think you're correct. I think. Um, well, what an opportunity for private aviation to be at the forefront of sustainable flying is to lead the way. Um, and I, I think you're absolutely right. That That's likely to happen. Yeah, and I think a very interesting derivative of this is that, as you mentioned earlier, we have all these electric plane models that um, there, there's an obvious um, capacity payload uh, limitations that perhaps are much less much less relevant for executive aviation at least in in some regional context so it's it's a lot harder to make an electric plane for 100 or 150 people but maybe you can make a plane for for nine or up to 19 people like most uh, most projects now in electric aviation are up to 19 people and well still some range limitations but i guess some segments of the aviation industry, of the executive aviation industry, can um, can somehow be uh, also early pioneers in in adopting these electric electric planes and and potentially other propulsion technologies that might be maturing. What's tremendously exciting is this development is happening right now. It's it's already in place. For example, in Vancouver, we've got Harbor Air, the seaplane company which flies around the islands um are, and they have, they are scheduled to be on this podcast uh, oh fantastic i have not uh, yet but <laughs> no they used their services yeah. uh, <laughs> uh two christmases ago uh to to fly um and uh, what a company what a great aviation company and they uh have developed um one of their aircraft um to be electric working um with some of the companies in, um, involved in electric flight and propulsion. And so already you can see that this is real technology with real um, battery um, um, ability now to be able to do these shorter flights. So we won't have to wait too much longer before we can fly electric on those short flights. And you know, my home country of Scotland, um, the flights around the west coast of the islands um, already are perfectly suited for electric uh, flights, um, so yes, it's it's all happening, and it's and it's happening quicker than most people think. Yeah, and actually in Orkney, in the northern tip of Scotland, now it's going to be hosting the test centre for all sorts of alternative propulsion systems, and I guess it's going to be very interesting. Scotland is going to be uh, developing its own electric aviation hub up north, so. Very, very interesting development. And what about all these projects for larger planes? Uh, for example, in Sweden, there's this hard aerospace. There are other projects in other parts of the world. Uh, yesterday in Spain, a new project was announced as well. Do you see executive aviation operators adopting them as a, as a standard? Or do you think they're going to wait a little bit more until the technology is more mature? What, what's the feeling in the industry? Um, so I think what we're going to see is it's going to be very mission dependent. So if it's a short, you know, hop between two cities or like you said, around the west coast of Scotland, it's a perfect use case for an electric aircraft that might be able to take a few people. So small kind of local flights, you know, I think we're going to start to see more and more electric applications. Longer range. So, you know, when we're flying from one day again, London to Sydney, we're still going to need, you know, jet fuel is going to be the best option for that for the immediate future. So sustainable aviation fuels, we're going to need a way to do that, you know, sustainably. The middle is kind of where it starts to get interesting. So looking at kind of, you know, hydrogen propulsion could be a good solution there. If electricity, you know, storage becomes better, it could be an application to move electric up, or it might be continuing use of sustainable fuels. So 
we're going to see, I think, you know, the solutions start to depend on what missions are occurring and what the length of missions are. Um, but, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how it evolves. How do these technologies fit into the carbon reduction accreditation that you provide? If someone wants to do something extra in addition to offset, because I guess when companies move into, I think it's, you call it gold and platinum options, yep. right? Which are the top tires. Um, those assume that the company is already doing offset. So offset is still being done. But yep. then you get involved in two other projects that uh, take into account this, not just offset, but carbon reduction. How do companies get involved with these projects? I mean, how, how does it work on a practical level? Yeah, so for our level three, our, our gold level, our, our beyond neutral, we call it, we look at those, those direct emissions reductions. And right now we send a 5% bar. So if you wanted to achieve level three, you have to reduce your, your emissions by 5%. And we kind of leave the door open for how you want to do that. If you're, you know, harbor air and you can get electric aircraft, you're going to meet that 5% by using electric aircraft and you don't need sustainable fuel. So that's a, you know, a successful application of a direct emissions reduction. If you're buying more fuel, fuel efficient aircraft and upgrading your fleet, that's also a way to actually reduce your, your baseline emissions because you're emitting less fuel on a per flight, you know, per passenger basis. But we really, you know, if you're going to keep your fleet and electrification is not going to be, you know, an option for you today, then sustainable fuels is going to be the best way to do that. So looking at, you know, what do you need to get a 5% emissions reduction and getting enough sustainable aviation fuel to do that? It's a reduction based on a benchmark that you agree on or what, what's exactly the, the bar that you set for these reductions? And is this 5% on a rolling basis or it's a set number that is revised every certain number of years? How does it work? Yep. So for the baseline, it'll be, we'll kind of work with the company to set that. Um, we might look at it on a, you know, a per passenger or per, you know, flight basis to, to set it depending on you know, the size of the business. Obviously, if it's a new business, they don't really have a, you know, baseline to use from. So you have to you kind of work with them to develop that. So that's kind of um, business, you know, specific, um, depending on which metric we use. But in terms of the 5%, we, we, so we have an advisory board that we talk to and we present to every year and talk about, you know, what the bars and the measurements uh, should be. So that's the kind of 5% emission reduction is what we looked at, you know, based on the availability of new aircraft, of sustainable fuels, and kind of what, you know, is out there and feasible. In addition to what do we need to do in order to actually, you know, meet our long-term goals, we'll, we'll set and hope, you know, raise that, that bar um, on a kind of annual or biannual basis to, to match kind of best practices. Mm -hmm. And then... There is still one more level, which is the one where you get directly involved in sponsoring or supporting new technologies, new ideas and projects. How do you do that? Yeah. So we, we, we asked the question of essentially, you know, even if you use sustainable fuels, which are, you know, up to kind of 90 percent, you know, carbon reductions, there's still that, you know, remaining 10 percent. And there's still ways to increase fuel efficiency, operational efficiency. You know, one of the examples we like to point out is the idea of um, continuous descents, they call it. So, you know, right now, if you're flying into an airport, you usually level off at intermediate altitudes when you're descending from your cruise. But that's fuel inefficient because every time you level off, you have to, you know, increase the fuel burn and re kind of um, reconfigure the aircraft for that, that level. If you were able to continuously descend into the airport, it's more fuel efficient. So there's other examples like that that we can look at to increase fuel efficiency and reduce emissions just from operational improvements. So, you know, what are the opportunities like that? Um, what are the ground-based emissions we can improve? You know, electric taxi, one-engine taxi, understanding that better, better research to understand the non-carbon impacts. And then ultimately, what do, you know, what's the research that we need that's going to be the foundation for electrification and, and hydrogen aircraft? And that's what we're looking at with partnering with these universities. You know, how do we accelerate the technology that's going to make emissions reductions 20, 30 years from now? and ultimately get you know, our companies, our partners involved in that. On a practical level, how does one of your partners, like PrivateFly, for example, yep. how does it translate into specific actions? Is it through grants, for example, for researchers, or is it investment on, on companies that are developing these technologies, or, or by becoming customer of, of uh, some of these, uh, of these projects? For example, I had on the podcast a few weeks ago, um, a Swiss startup that they, they produce synthetic fuel. Uh, it's more expensive, but they basically they got a commitment from 
some operators to purchase some of this fuel as part of their environmental commitments. In that regard, for example, if a company that works with you wants to get to this platinum level, how does this translate into specific actions? I mean, is there a money flow uh, mm. or are there other ways that they can support all these technologies? Yeah, but by the way, that you know, watch that podcast with or listen to the podcast. That was a really cool technology that they're working on. I think that's going to be you know really big. But um, so what we look at with a um, you know company like Private Fly or a customer Private Fly who wanted to get involved in level four, we look at the carbon footprint as the baseline, and then make a contribution to the Aviation Climate Fund, um, which is a fund we started that'll invest or not necessarily invest but work with the universities to write grants for either certain research projects or support existing ones that they've got they've got ongoing. So there's a couple universities we've been talking to in the US and the United Kingdom that have you know projects we like already that we'll you know probably give um, some financial support to in terms of you know helping out that it like, speed up that research, I guess. But the other option is helping with kind of um, you know flight data and, and certain other kind of emissions data from from a fleet. So say an operator you know, has a fleet and has data that they can share to help understand you know, real life kind of fuel flow and, and emissions that are occurring in flight at different altitudes for some of these cruise optimizations, there's opportunities for them to actually partner with the universities as well. So um, we're really focused you know, today on the universities because we think they're laying kind of the foundation for all the startups and all the you know, uh, companies that wanna work on these technologies. Um, but there's different ways to kind of get involved with them. But the main way is really, you know, contribution to the Climate Fund, which will support um, these university research projects. I would like to ask you about this fund. So is this, uh, it's called the Climate Fund, and is this the a aviation fund, Aviation mm -hmm. Climate Fund, and is this a fund that you manage through 4Air, or is, there, is, is it an independent organization, or...? So it's not necessarily an it's not necessarily an investment fund. It's more of kind of you know a collection of of, of donations or contributions that'll yeah. go to these universities. I wanted so, to ask you: is it yeah. is it a for profit fund or is it a no? no. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. so every, every contribution that comes to the climate fund gets remitted to the university partner. And you manage this fund, or is managed by a separate entity? It's managed by us, but it's all flow through. So there's no, you know, 4Air doesn't take any of the money out of the fund, doesn't make anything from the management of the fund. It all okay. goes towards the partner. There's just a pool of money that you set aside of, for, yes. for these yeah. type of projects. Okay, very yeah. good. Does it have a website or is it all on the 4Air website? It's on the 4Air website, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, I'll be posting links to that. Yeah. <laughs> very good. So you, when did you start 4Air? How long has it been around? So we officially launched it um, at the end of last year, but we've been working on it for a little bit, you know, over a year now, looking at compiling, you know, how do we, what are the best practices out there, looking into that research on, you know, non-carbon emissions, what the sustainable fuel availability was, getting involved with a lot of the, you know, industry efforts that are going on right now um, around sustainable fuel rollout and, and different initiatives. So, um, yeah, we, you know, decided, we've been excited to launch, but it's been, you know, very busy since launching that last year. And you are talking to the whole aviation ecosystem, so airlines, airports, pretty much everyone in aviation. Or We've been talking to pretty much everyone in aviation, but we really, we developed a solution with a, a niche focus on, on executive aviation because we knew there's a lot of nuances to the industry that we think for these programs to be successful, we needed to be implemented, you know, very thoughtfully. So the approach is, is kind of targeted at, you know, the executive aviation industry, but we're seeing a lot of rollover and interest, you know, kind of from beyond that. Mm -hmm. What about the, um, let's say, the emissions that are not directly linked to the flights? Are they taken into account as well? So let's say, for example, can an executive aviation operator, let's say they, they provide, I don't know, they provide a limousine service to, to from the airport and then they decide to do that with an electric car. Would that count towards a emissions count or you only take into account the actual flight? The, the main footprint we looked at is the flight. We do have something a little bit for the, for the taxi and, you know, time on the ground that the aircraft is there. Mm -hmm. um, for an operator partner like PrivateFly, we do look at their corporate emissions. So from their office electricity usage, PrivateFly has a, a fleet of corporate vehicles, but they're all electric now. So we, you know, we look at kind of the energy usage from that. Um, with COVID, you know, a lot of people are working from home. So we, we look at kind of some of their, you know, personal emissions, but um, we'll offset for, you know, a company like PrivateFly, their corporate emissions to make sure that when we talk about them being neutral, you know, we're including everything underneath that. But things like, a, you know, once the, par once the passenger leaves the plane, that, those would be separate. 
Mm -hmm. and what's um, really interesting, Miguel, yeah. is that these are the type of questions that um, are being asked at recruitment interviews. Yeah, really? <laughs> I think uh, the younger generation looking for uh, a job wants that to join a company which is forward thinking in terms of sustainability. Mm -hmm. um, so we're, we're, we're definitely um, having that um, good pressure from the team um, within. And when we, we openly discuss this, um, within the company that we wanted to do this, um, the, the, the statements from the, the team was, well, great. But what about when you ask us to go on a, on a trip on EasyJet to Geneva to join an industry conference? Will we be offsetting our own flight? And uh, I thought, well, absolutely we should do. You know, we're not just here to offset our clients um, flying, but we're here to offset our own travel um, and um, the building that we're in and all of the associated energy that we use uh, to power private fly. So again, another great all-round um, bonus of this project is that you can become um, a sustainable um, company in terms of the energy that we use. I've got a bit of a tricky question for you now, Adam. It's, Please. Uh, you've, got, <laughs> you, you've got a significant part of your bookings done on, on Bitcoin. And on one hand, that's a really like forward thinking thing of you to, to basically enable this. On the other hand, Bitcoin has been criticized because of also the uh, energetic environmental footprint. Well, I don't know if that's controversial. At some no, of course, I'd be very happy yeah. to talk about it. In fact, it's a really interesting uh, backstory because uh, in, in 2014, we um, did a flight for, for a client who submitted uh, a review and we asked all of our, um, our customers to review us online at Trustpilot, independent review site. And mm -hmm. the, the review was very positive. Thank you um, for a superb journey. Um, everything was perfect. The only thing I would say you could um, improve was if you accepted Bitcoin. Now, mm -hmm. back in that time, Bitcoin had a... A, a much different reputation and I decided just to have a look at it and the more I researched um, I couldn't find a reason not to accept Bitcoin to help this customer who wanted to pay by Bitcoin and so I guess we, with the current valuations I, I guess your customer base has increased no, well quite dramatically yeah so many millionaires being mint. Yeah, it was a niche uh, group of clients um, to begin with um, but over the last year, um, it has grown significantly and is now 20% of our revenue. 20% um, through, through, um, through Bitcoin, an incredible amount. And it's not just those young early investors, it's, it's companies who want to use Bitcoin as a way of making an international payment. It's instant, it's low cost in terms of the transaction fees. Um, and, it's, it, it's for many reasons, um, it works perfectly in, in private aviation. And that we're actually seeing other companies now accept Bitcoin, which is, which is great for the industry. Um, however, yes, um, it, 20, yeah, 20%, 20 wow. of revenue. I think you should, <laughs> in addition to aviation podcasts like this one, you should go into a, I don't know, some sort of like Bitcoin podcast, a cryptocurrency podcast. To well, I, I did ask our CFO, to calculate if we'd kept all of those Bitcoins, what the company would be worth now. And he refused <laughs> to do that calculation, which is probably a good job. Um, yeah. But no, back but, to the original question. Um, yeah. Yes, we've all um, learned about the, um, the electricity usage of mining the Bitcoins in the first place. Um, and again, I don't think we want to avoid that discussion. Um, it would be interesting to find out how much the credit card industry uses in terms of electricity in the banking industry. But I know that certainly um, it's about the choice of um, who you buy your electricity from. At home on a domestic level, I use uh, a company called Good Energy, who are 100% renewable. So um, we, and we use the same company at Private Fly. Um, well, sorry, it's a separate company. We use um, Scottish Energy, who are 100% mm -hmm. renewable but we're buying our electricity from a renewable energy provider. And now um, I don't know um, what the computers are being powered for who are mining for Bitcoin, but I guess that's the, the question you have to ask. Is it a nuclear power station? Is it an oil 
or gas, or is it a, a wind turbine or a solar um, farm, which is generating that industry um, electricity. But again, you know, none of these subjects should be avoided, and we're very happy to, to discuss them. Mm -hmm. Very well. So what's next? What are your, your uh, next, uh, the, the, the plans for the next uh, steps in, in sustainability, both uh, private fly, for air, I guess, you guys are always planning new things, new stuff. What can you share? I guess some of it is secret, but... <laughs> well, it's been, an, it's been a, um, a fantastic um, year in, in many regards for the team to have a reflection on, on, on the products that we sell. We've had a certain number of clients who've used private aviation for the very first time this year, um, and we want to retain them, we want to keep them. Um, so we've been looking at how we how we do that and one thing is clear that um, one of the reasons why people um, might choose not to use uh, private aviation is the variability in pricing and then the uncertainty of how much it will cost so we've um, developed a jet card product which guarantees availability at a fixed price um, so that's an exciting um, part um, so is it a is it like a flat fee that you pay and gives you access? Yes. To a so you buy 25 hours of flight time um, mm -hmm. at a set rate, depending uh -huh. on the category of aircraft. Um, and that's fixed. Um, uh -huh. Those hours will never expire. And um, whenever you want to fly, um, you, you get in touch through the app, through the website, or through the t telephone or email. And uh, we will arrange the flight for you. and um, it's at a fixed price that you've already paid for. So and that's an exciting product. And um, the offsets are included, huh? Yeah, we looked at um, how some of the airlines have uh -huh. been doing it. And we discovered that if you ask the customer during the transaction process, less than 5% will sign up. Mm -hmm. um, we decided that we would take the decision on behalf of our customers and make it 100% and, the, and, and pay for those offsets from the profits that mm -hmm. we're making. Yeah, actually, there's even an airline now, um, SAS in Scandinavia, is now offering to buy sustainable aviation fuel. I tested it the other day. I didn't, I didn't book a flight because, unfortunately, <laughs> travel situation is still not normal. But in the booking process, you can buy chunks of sustainable aviation fuel. So you can buy, I don't know, I don't remember exactly the, the, the amounts, but something like you want to add 30, I don't know, like 5% of, of your fuel consumption and then you pay extra basically to to fund the purchase of the sustainable aviation fuel which is still a bit more expensive than conventional fuel that's another way this is a tremendously um exciting area and we'll ask kennedy yeah. to, to tell us more about it but only yesterday i was speaking to the owner of biggin hill airport mm -hmm. um, um, who are now the number one airport in in, in london they've overtaken farmer and luton throughout the pandemic um, and uh, they have invested in um, uh, sustainable aviation infrastructure and, and want to be able to offer it to, to everybody coming in. So we're, we're seeing an increased number of airports um, offer sustainable aviation fuel. But obviously, the, the number of airports that private aviation visits um, is huge. So not always is it going to be available. So um, mm -hmm. we'll ask Kennedy to, 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 to help explain what happens in those situations. Yeah, so I mean, this is you know very relevant because we were, especially from corporate customers, you know, the interest of of having sustainable fuel for their corporate fleets is, is really high. And to them, you know, it's kind of is they don't the premium it matters less. They want as much sustainable fuel as they can get because they want to do you know make that initiative part of their corporate sustainability. But what we find today is you know the the supply is very limited. You've got a couple airports in in the UK, um, you know, some more emerging ones in the Nordic countries. And then in the United States, it's only, you know, pretty much California, a couple of places on the Northwest. Um, but if you wanted to get any kind of, you know, supply at a commercially, you know, reasonable price, it's, it's got to be in California. So if you don't fly there, it can be, you know, it's hard to get the direct uplift. So what's emerging is, this, is a book and claim system that's very similar to a renewable energy credit, where if you wanted, you know, Adam's situation might be a little bit different, but if you wanted to get your energy in the United States from a renewable, you know, source, you don't necessarily get the exact molecules from that wind farm in Texas, but you are displacing, um, you know, a certain amount of energy in the electricity grid with renewable from fossil by, by paying that premium. And that's kind of how this book and claim system works, where you kind of pay, you pay the premium for the sustainable fuel. 
that goes into the fuel tanks of an aircraft in San Francisco, even though your plane flew out of you know, an airport out of New York. So it becomes a great way to scale up the sustainability because you, you meet, you know, you take the dollars that are willing to pay the premium and then help incentivize, you know, and grow that sustainable fuel supply, which over time is going to bring the price down and make it more widely acceptable. So mm-hmm. it's a great system. And I think something that we're going to see more and more of as, as sustainable fuel starts to grow and the interest grows and, and rollouts uh, start happening. Mm-hmm. This is definitely a very interesting area and there's so many initiatives trying different technologies at the same time. And another benefit also that uh, some of this fuel is made from waste. So mm-hmm. you, <laughs> you are kind of sorting out another, another issue here. It's going to be interesting to see kind of, you know, there's so many different feedstocks, we, you call it, yeah. kind of where the sustainable fuel comes from. You've got used cooking oil, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the grease from the, from the chips that you, you ate, mm-hmm. you know, can be used for, for sustainable fuel. It can be you know, miscible waste. It can be um, like the person you're talking to, just direct carbon captured from the atmosphere and, and you know, reconverted, remanufactured into sustainable fuels. So it's really cool to see all the different feedstocks. I'm excited to see kind of which ones emerge you know, as leaders. Do, do you guys have um, a specific position on uh, which process is better or which one is more, gets more let's say, uh, quote-unquote, green points for... Uh... Well, I was actually thinking that if we are able to make aviation fuel from uh, fried fruit and chips, maybe Scotland will be able to power the whole of the world. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not necessarily, it's, it's tough because as, as supply, you know, is very limited today, it's because of kind of what feedstocks are currently available. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in the long run, you know, I think some of the, the direct air captures me interesting because now, you know, I think as you said, you're recycling the carbon. You take the carbon that you emitted yep. from the air, remanufactured into jet fuel, and so it's no longer digging it out of the ground, but but actually a circular economy of, of the, the jet fuel of the carbon. So I think that's exciting, but you know, we're still a ways away from that. So um, it'll be interesting to see. You know, I think whichever ones can bring you know the biggest reductions in in carbon emissions, you know, we're happy. Do you guys work with any certification organizations? Um, not directly on the sustainable fuel. That's, that's independent of 4Air. So well, what, all what of this points to what a great future aviation has. And when we're looking at uh, the younger generation coming out of universities and, and looking for a career, aviation has always been exciting. Mm-hmm. And, and private aviation in particular um, tends to uh, lead the way with modern technology of the, the aircraft. We, we have the, a very new fleet compared with the, many of the airlines. Um, and now with the, uh, the electric revolution, the sustainableness um, of, the, of what's coming over the horizon, it's never been a better time for younger people to get involved in, in aviation and, 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 and private aviation. The, the future is very, very positive. Yeah, I mean, I think... Um... One of the thing, one of the consequences of all this uh, UAM revolution that it's about to happen, all these uh, ways to move people around through the air, uh, around cities and stuff. I think that that's going to blur a little bit the, the the borders of executive aviation, which now I guess many people, even some that possibly have the means to fly private, they might see private aviation like it's a it's a separate separate planet but if you get start to get lots of people flying around in in private things that move through the air uh, <laughs> i mean it, it's in a way it's it's a, like an entry it's like an entry into the into the world of, of private aviation yeah i think you know you asked what you know what's next and i think you know, looking at sustainability just you know how many exciting things are going on in our industry right now you know we've had the huge surge in sustainability interest you, you know, urban air mobility, regional air mobility, you know, yeah. electric revolution. There's so many exciting things in aviation right now that, that we're excited to just kind of see where, you know, the future of, of what rolls out. Yeah, regional as well. I mean, all these, all these electric, electric projects that aim to fly people, you know, 200, 300 mile radius. I mean, once you get people used to using this type of planes, I mean, they are already in the world of private aviation. It's, it's, a, it's a form of private aviation, I guess. That, that's going to change the perceptions as well. And if it can be done in a, in a way that is sustainable and, 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 and clean, why not? Yeah, I mean, we, are, we honestly thought, because we were looking at this, you know, we thought with COVID that it would slow the sustainability conversation down, but it, it honestly, seems see, honestly seems to have accelerated it. And yeah. that's you know, really exciting. Yeah, it's amazing. Like every day there are new stories, mm-hmm. new initiatives, new announcements. It's, it's really fascinating time. Well, I think we, we've covered pretty much all the ground that I had here 
in my notes to ask you. I'm sure there will be more occasions in the future to reconvene and, and see where we are in terms of sustainability in executive aviation. If people want to learn more about your respective companies, where should they go? Which websites, social media channels, et cetera, should they check? Well, for, for, for air, uh, you know, websites for air.aero um, and we're on Instagram and LinkedIn, um, you know, reach, you send us a, a, a form submission and, you know, any questions, we're always happy just to, to help discuss well, and educate. Yeah, for air um, with four as a number. So it's correct. And then air in letters, dot air. Yep, dot arrow. And private fly, privatefly.com. That's correct. Uh, or we all of the all of the channels, all of the social media channels. Where we, we like our like our payments. We don't dictate to our, our clients how they pay us. They can pay mm -hmm. by credit card or by bank transfer or by Bitcoin, and it's yeah. the same with uh, <laughs> conversations. So we welcome conversations across all channels, and, and look forward to hearing people's comments about what they've heard today, and if they agree with us that sustainable aviation is is here to stay. Yeah, and I take the opportunity to recommend uh, Private Fly blog as well, which is an amazing blog with lots of content and information about executive aviation that I myself check quite regularly to be informed about everything that goes on in this very fascinating industry. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having you here today on the podcast. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Miguel. Before you go, and if you like this podcast, a quick reminder that it would be absolutely great if you could please give it a rating on Apple, Spotify, or whichever platform you're using, or recommend it to a friend or whomever might be interested. Thank you very much, and see you soon.